When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone and welcome back to another breakdown. Today we're going to cover episode 5 of season 3, so let's get started. The episode starts with Grief Karga, the High Magistrate on Navarro 7, as the pirate ship arrives and looms over his town's skies. We see it's Gorian Shard who's hailing him. Now Shard makes fun of Grief and says basically that he's gone soft and become rich, and that he's not the man that he used to be. He blames Grief for killing his pirates in cold blood, doing the whole typical pirate thing where, you know, they manipulate and twist scenarios around. Grief Karga says it's not a good idea to fire on Navarro 7 as he's connected with the New Republic. And Shard laughs, telling him that he's not part of the New Republic at all, nor is Moff Gideon protecting him anymore. So Shard blows up the town of Navarro 7 and Grief takes his townspeople to the outskirts of the city as he calls the New Republic for help. We see the New Republic HQ as they're hanging out and playing pool and just doing stuff. We meet up with Carson Teva, New Republic pilot from Season 2. This is the same guy who offered Cara Dune a job. He plays the hologram from Grief Karga who's asking for his help. Where Zeb walks up to him and this is actually his live action debut. Zeb was in Rebels and he was part of Ghost Crew with Ezra, Hera, Kanan, and Chopper. It's great seeing him in live action and I think perhaps his appearance may have a little more importance than we think. Perhaps this is foreshadowing of Ezra and Thrawn. In fact, maybe he's just stationed there to get intel on Moff Gideon's transport time and date so that Sabine could escort him out and get information on where Thrawn is, leading them to Ezra. Now this theory isn't mine, this comes from one of you guys during the watch party last night. And your reasoning for this was because Beskar was found on the ship, this Beskar could have been Sabine's. Personally, I think it was a Mandalorian or Mandalorians who were related to Death Watch and loyal to Darth Maul's clan that ended up freeing him, but we can talk more about that at the end of this breakdown. Carson Teva shows the hologram of Grief Karga to Coruscant's New Republic HQ, Colonel Tuttle, which is kind of like the main center for it. Coruscant is their main base of operations. He denies him approval to help as G86, who seems to be freaking everywhere, walks in after seeing Carson in there. She is still playing the New Republic, so she's like a double spy completely. And I believe that she still works for Moff Gideon. Carson mentions Moff Gideon having never made it to trial, and G86 is seen looking down kind of uncomfortable. She says a pretty imperial thing here by essentially implying that Navarro 7 may now see the importance of joining the New Republic through their essential suffering. The New Republic denies help to Navarro 7, and Carson Teva takes it upon himself to go find the Mandalorian, but not without giving his word to Tuttle and G86, saying that there is something much more going on here than meets the eye. That maybe all of these attacks are linked together, like Moff Gideon and the pirates are doing all of this in some sort of a coordinated attack. 
So Karsten Teva flies to the Mandalorian Enclave, and he tracks them down via R5's transponder. Otherwise, of course, you know, how would he be able to find them? He tells them about Grief Karga's message, and then leaves. Now, how did he know that R5 was with the Mandalorian? I'm guessing that it's probably in some logbook somewhere that Pelimoto had to sign off that this droid is now with the Mandalorian when she sold him or something. Din speaks to the clan, holding the armorer's hammer, which is like a talking stick type of thing. Mando pleads his case to save Grief Karga when he says that he had a change of heart against Mandalorians. And then Imperials were the ones who decimated the Mandalorians, not necessarily Karga. He proposes they all live on Navarro 7 as Grief has offered him land and may offer them land as well, which of course he does. He gives the talking hammer stick back to the armor and Paz Vizsla rises to speak himself. And he moves them all to fight for him and Mando, saying that he had disagreements with Mando before, but he now doesn't because Mando has saved his son and the same with Bo. So Bo takes them all in her ship. Mando rides in his N1 with Grogu. They arrive on Navarro 7 and it's actually a really cool fight. You got the dogfight in the skies and then you got everyone on the ground fighting as well. Mando blasts Gorian Shard's ship and it's a full dogfight in the skies against the pirates who send their own little ships too. The Mandos take to the ground and blast the pirates. They tie them up Batman style as Paz drops in and just mulches him down. It's a very fun scene when we see the Mandos working all together against these pirates until of course the pirates get the high ground and blast them with a very powerful cannon. Mando and Bo-Katan work together like they did against the TIE Interceptors early in the season taking out the pirates in the skies. The armor comes in from behind just like she did in season one and takes them out with the hammer, allowing Paz Vizsla and the rest of the Mandos to take the pirates out and advance. Now Vane blasts off and escapes as Shard goes down with his ship like any good captain should. So this tells me that Vane will probably meet up with some other pirate clan or maybe start his own, or maybe now he's gonna actually meet up with Hondo. The Mandos save the day, and Grief Karga thanks them, calling them liberators and saying that the planet is indebted to them forever. He squashes the beef entirely and says that they are welcome to make this place home, giving all of them their own land, which is a very nice gesture. And I think they're going to take it. Paz tells Bo-Katan the armorer wishes to speak with her, and leads her down to the Mando Enclave, just like we saw at the very start of Season 1. I sure did miss this place, brought back some good memories. The armorer says that she's been to the Great Forge on Mando, Mandalore, and tells us that there were hundreds of hammers at work there, producing tons of armor by the hour, whereas now there's just one, her. And it really shows you how diminished the Mandalorian clan has become, and how divided they've become. And this of course leads to her next thing that she's about to say. She orders Bo to remove her helmet, and of course, you know, everyone's like, holy crap, this is insane, like, why is she actually doing this? She's so for keeping your helmet on at all times, as this is the way. So Bo takes it off, the armor says her people have strayed from their way, but she feels they must all walk the way together. Basically saying that the Mandalorians are too divided, they need to unite, and for too long there has been way too much civil war. Now if you remember in the beginning of the Mandalorian season 1, there were the songs of Eon Past. And the Mandalorian starts to talk of a new age that will give rise to a new way of Mandalorians, and that's for the one who rides the Mythosaur. So she finally admits that Bo 
Bo-Katan did indeed see the Mythosaur and tells her that Bo walked both worlds, of course, of Death Watch, you know, days of the kind of ways of the old, and then the children of the Watch. She is the one to unite all Mandalorians. So the armorer has it in her head that Bo-Katan is the one to start this new age and to give way to a new way of Mandalorians, uniting all of them together. And because she's walked both paths before, she's respected from both clans, the ones without the helmets on, the ones with the helmets on, and so she can be the bridge to both. Just like Grogu can be the bridge for Force Sensitives and Mandalorians like Tar Vizsla was. She walks with helmetless Bo-Katan outside. This is a big deal. Telling the tribe of Mandalorians that she will unite all Mandalorian tribes together. So she is allowed to remove her helmet for this case. It is time to retake Mandalore and Bo is the one to do it. She will now embark on a mission to find all straggler Mandalorians out in the galaxy and bring them here to unite them. And then eventually they're going to go to Mandalore and they're all going to essentially repopulate the place. Just when we think it's over, Carson Teva comes across an abandoned Lambda T4A shuttle. This is a very important Imperial shuttle, which houses only officers and people of great importance with the Empire. Now, of course, it's the New Republic, so the Empire is no longer in existence. Now, the ship looks heavily attacked. Lights are off, it's just floating in space, and it looks like it's been breached. So Carson hails the New Republic, speaks to them over the intercom, and they find out that this is the ship that transported Moff Gideon. The ship has no survivors, yet Moff Gideon's body is missing. The flight crew are frozen from space, and Carson Teva notices something embedded in the wall as he sends a probe. It's a piece of Beskar, and they deduce that Moff Gideon was broken out of here by Mandalorians. So, this could be one of three things. Either Death Watch, a very rugged and violent group of Mandalorians, did indeed break Moff Gideon out, which is believable since he did hold the Darksaber at one point, meaning he accrued a following of some kind, a following that may still be very loyal to him. Or, he's paying them off with lots of Beskar, which is very possible as he has access to it. The other option is that he framed Mandalorians by putting a tiny piece of Beskar on the wall to throw the New Republic off their tracks, which he could very well do. It's a very Thrawn thing to do, kind of thinking fourth dimensionally like that. Or, like I said very early in the season, Sabine Wren is the one who got him out of there so that she can get intel on Thrawn's location and thus finding Ezra. Maybe she's with Ahsoka, maybe she's not, maybe she's alone. Either way, I think Moff Gideon did escape, and in order to find Thrawn, Ahsoka will have to find him first. Unless she has her own way of finding Thrawn, which may be a little more difficult. But I, for one, would love to see a battle between Ahsoka and Moff Gideon with the Darksaber. I know she would absolutely decimate him, but I still want to see it. So I personally think that he actually was freed from Mandalorians who were perhaps loyal to Darth Maul once, and now loyal to Moff Gideon. I think once Bo-Katan goes to unite these kinds of Mandalorians, as is her new mission, she will come to a very rude awakening and perhaps be captured herself, luring Din Djarin out to Moff Gideon, who will challenge him to a duel, and this time perhaps win, claiming the Darksaber for himself once again, and him being the one to rule all of the Mandalorians. This could cause even more of a civil war because a lot of Mandalorians hate Moff Gideon, while many may be loyal to him or loyal to the Beskar that he provides or the money that he provides. This could cause a massive all-out civil war, and it kind of makes you wonder which Mandalorians will take the side of Din Djarin or Bo-Katan 
or the side of Moff Gideon. Now, there could be a possibility where Bo-Katan is actually playing the game, and she may even be with Moff Gideon, but I think that's a very, very far-fetched theory, but it would be a massive twist, because she was quite dark and evil in the beginning of this season, and then all of a sudden she changed tune, and it just seems a little too convenient, but I guess we'll find out and we'll see. I'm happy that finally this season is taking a, a bit of a different direction. We're finally getting some excitement. We're getting a bit of a story, a bit of an overarching nemesis returning. I just wish they would have done it maybe at the end of episode three or something like that, as we only have three episodes left now. So I will see you all in the next few videos that I'm going to do regarding this episode, because there's a lot of cool stuff that we can talk about, and it has me pretty excited. So love you all. Thanks for watching today's breakdown. Please leave a thumbs up if you enjoyed it, and I'll see you in the next video. Until then, remember, the Force will be with you always.